1: Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrowcom slash ACAST. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone
2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Brazil are good, aren't they, Barry? South Korea blown away in the first 15 minutes before the half-hour mark. Neymar was thinking about nutmegging the ref. Then Richarlison and the manager was dancing. Then Pekatar, Then, fair enough to South Korea, win the second half, lads. And they did. Meanwhile, Croatia were tired. They were, but it didn't matter. Japan had lost all their power by the time penalties came around. And so those wily dogs reached the quarterfinal. And, well, you just can't write them off although they better wake up before Brazil. Also today we'll look ahead to tomorrow's games, give Bakayo Saka the praise we should have given him yesterday and after a huge public outcry we released the Rone tapes. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today Lars Sivertsen, hello. Hi Max. Hello Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushden, and hello, Jordan Jarrett, Brian. Hello, Max. You're right, mate. I'm very good, thank you. Uh, so, Brazil four, South Korea one. Jordan, that was a that was a ridiculous first half, wasn't it?
3: It was, yeah. And Brazil one of the teams that I've really enjoyed watching this whole this whole tournament
2: <laughs> for the tape we recorded part 2 before part 1 and jordan said he hadn't found any team interesting i don't know if it's made the edit but brazil really screwed you over there jordan didn't they just a little bit just
3: a little bit no that 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 was fun that was fun to watch um brazil being brazil i mean they were massively helped i'm sure we'll discuss in a second by <laughs> south korea um wanting to exit the competition clearly but um that's what you want to see. You want to see lots of good goals, lots of one-touch football, lots of flair, as you mentioned in your intro, the referee being taken on as well. I'm also really annoyed at footballers that they have this thing, I believe, where there's this level of respect that they feel once you've hit a certain score line or you sense you can hit a really high score line, they just think, okay, let's, let's, let's not go for 10. Brazil could have easily scored 12 goals today. And I just think there's an inherent thing amongst pro footballers where they think, nah, let's have a little bit of sympathy for the opposition. I really hate it.
2: I mean, there wasn't there wasn't that much sympathy when they were dancing around after five <laughs> minutes. And we'll 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 get to the dancing because I'm I'm keen to do the football before we do the dancing. But the was, thing was, Lars, I I was watching that first half and the way Brazil were playing, and I, I think I tweeted it saying, like, "If you if you took it off HD and made it all sepia, maybe got a smaller telly, it was a bit like Socrates and Zico and Brazil being yeah. exactly what you want Brazil to be."
4: Yeah. No. I almost don't care at all about the South Korean defending and all that, because I just think having at least a half of Brazil just going wild and doing Brazil things is, I think that's one of the things you have to have for it to have been a good World Cup on the field, right? It's like a checklist of things that you want to have seen in a World Cup. And I think at least 45 minutes of Brazil being Brazil is is on that. We can check that off. And it was tremendous. Uh, the you know the Richarlison goal, it's, it does the sort of the, the sort of Carlon uh, esque uh, head dribble thing, and, and and then there's the 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 quick one too, but it's for the two center halves is what's mysterious about it first of all that you the two center house have executed that passage of play so well but also that they're there i mean that's kind of a strange plan after a set piece or something but still uh and it, it, that that was quite extraordinary and of course West Ham's Lucas Paqueta scoring uh, also one of the goals of the of the tournament i mean tremendous fun
2: yeah and, and that goal that he scored um that dinked cross Barry and you're watching players like Paqueta or Paqueta how you want to pronounce it Richardson who who don't necessarily play like that when we're watching them in the Premier League. But there's something about being in a Brazil shirt with other Brazilian players playing against the team that, you know, aren't really that good. But still, it was it was really just a lot of fun. Yeah, I was reminded during this game of of uh
5: when I was lucky enough to go to Rio to cover the Olympics and uh day off one day, I think it was me and and the Guardians, Andy Bull. Uh we're down having a few pints on the Copa Cabana, and we were watching these Brazilian lads playing beach football and i we' probably just sitting watching them having a drink and for i don't know half an hour, and they one of them came over and invited us to play, and we just said no <laughs> 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 absolutely, absolutely no fucking chance because we would just be embarrassed. And, and the thing I thought about the Paqueta goal, um, he, well, I, I I think I was reminded of this during the, the Richarlison goal, the 3-0 one, but I think it was the Paqueta one where there was already three strikers in the box or three Brazilians in the box. And Paqueta was the one player you'd have thought, well, he's not going to cross to him, but of course he does. And he side-foots home with Elan and, pff, yeah, boom. It, it, just a brilliant brilliant first half of football.
2: Hmm. I, I mean I don't know if how easy it is to pick out individual performances Jordan. I thought Rafinha was brilliant. Um I mean they were all everybody was great. I don't I don't know who to pick out. I thought what's hard is when you watch that. And um, and you know I sort of compared it to sort of 82 86 Brazil and neither of those teams won the World Cup, right? It's possible to have these moments and and everyone goes suddenly, you know, suddenly now everyone go Brazil are definitely the best team, but you don't know that. So I guess you. the first thing to do is just to enjoy that performance for what it was, for, for what it gave us today.
3: Yeah, I think Lars is right. I think just watching Brazil for, for 45 minutes just do what we kind of expect them and what we've come to love is, is, is in itself just something we should, we should appreciate. I don't think there was a particularly standout performance, but if am I right in saying that Anthony didn't play tonight? He didn't mm. come on, today. No. Because he's the one person that I've, I, I'm have i not quite having because I think he's too, he's too a little bit too Brazilian like that. But yet in the one game where Brazil, Brazil, <laughs> Brazil he doesn't play the stepovers and the flare, that sort of game. That he would have just played. spun
2: around for the whole second he half, half have, wouldn't he? Yeah,
3: he wouldn't. <laughs> I think I spotted Jorginho, Jor, Jorginho, Jorginho of Middlesbrough.
2: Juninho, what?
3: Jorginho, Who? sorry, yeah. I'm sure yeah. I spotted him on the on the coaching staff at the, at the end. I'm pretty sure sure he was there as well. And that was a nice if it was him. It's a nice little nostalgic memory of the of the late nineties of the
5: Premier League era. Am I right in thinking that after their first few games, Brazil were being accused of not being Brazil enough, or they were no longer the Brazil of yore? And I'm just wondering if if word of that has filtered through to them. Well, they went. But I feel well, like that's... We,
4: we'll show you. But I feel like that's been a talking point in almost every tournament I can remember. Because the modern Brazil are a little bit more solid at the back and a bit more functional. There had they have been for quite a long time. But uh, at least these guys can turn it on if circumstances permit, I suppose.
3: That's the reason why I wasn't necessarily finding them that fun to watch in this tournament. Because
4: this is the Brazil that
3: I associate with being fun. (laughs) Anyway, I'm digging a hole, so I'm going (laughs) to stop. No, no,
2: no, no, no. But actually, you're not. You're not wrong. Because what was it? Against Serbia, it took them a while to get going. Kevin Richardson scored that wonderful goal, but it did take them a while to get going. Um, you know, they lost to Cameroon. What was their their uh, Switzerland game? Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember the Switzerland. I mean, forgive me. They won it's
4: one 0 so nil. nil. Casemiro They
2: correct. won one nil. Yeah. So and it was a wonderful finish from Casemiro. But so they haven't they haven't lit up the tournament yet. And I guess what happens, doesn't it? And this has happened not just with Brazil that you see a team like the Netherlands. We go, ah, oh, so they're not that great. And then suddenly they have a good game. You go, oh, hang on, they are good. And that's the nature of tournament football. You can only judge a team at the most in seven games, and so their form fluctuates wildly through that
4: except what I would add to that is that this lineup is terrifying right i mean mm. with this team you kind of always knew it was in them uh but uh, but what i would say, if picking out individual performances i, I want to just talk about ronaldson for a second because i think going into the tournament there might be people who think really is he sort of like of all the of all the brazilian attackers is he i mean he's not even a certain starter for spurs right but but he gives them something his aggression is one thing, but I think his confidence is really important mm. for that team because mm. it's quite heavy, the Brazilian number nine shirt. It weighs heavily on the wearer and it, you really have to go back to the uh, the actual Ronaldo to have the next time, the last time they had someone really good. Like 2010, they had Luis Fabiano up front. He wasn't up too much. 2014, they had the much maligned Fredgy uh, up there. Not good. And in 2018, uh, Gabriel Jesus, who's a great player, but he scored no goals in that tournament. So it's been a while now where the Brazilian number nines have just not executed very well. And I think there is a lot of pressure on you in that position. And Richarlison seems like the guy who's quite quite impervious to that. I think he rates himself quite highly, Richarlison, and is not concerned with, with the you know the surrounding stuff and just goes out there and does stuff.
2: I'll tell you who did have a very good game, slightly counterintuitively, was Alisson. I mean, he made four brilliant saves. I'm not saying it could have been 5-4, right? <laughs> but like, and, and a couple of those were offside. Hey, what an absolutely brilliant goalkeeper! And you know, it's an interesting discussion about him or Edison, and he was sort of peerless today.
4: Well, we did get a tweet from from Jim Herson says, "Is it crazy to think that South Korea didn't actually look that bad going forward <laughs> and could have gotten something out of it against most other sides?" And I, I I think that there's something to that, but there's also sort of because Brazil racked up four goals in the first half hour and a bit, yeah, you are gonna take your foot off the pedal a little bit. And, and South Korea are obviously not dreadful. I mean, they were a bit iffy defensively for that segment, but they've got some stuff going forward, and that meant Allison had to had to do the stuff. There was some very good saves there.
5: I will say, right, look, South Korea got battered, and I'm not saying anything else, but there was one stage. they were 4-1 down. I think it was on exactly 82 minutes they had it. A good chance. It was Mm a good save. And I was thinking, bloody hell, if that had gone in, (laughs) that could have been interesting. But it didn't, and it wasn't. But if it had yeah, 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 if yeah. it had
2: well well min son had that chance didn't he just at the start of the second half and alisson made another brilliant save and you did think you know what arsenal for newcastle for could we be about to see the most utterly extraordinary cuz they they played nice football south korea and but you know obviously brazil had taken their foot off the gas at the halftime um uh, before they started talking about dancing the tv studio in the uk Sunest. And and Roy Keane were, were sort of talking about South Korea and how they'd lined up Lars and defensively how that was quite naive, considering how compared to how other sides had lined up against Brazil.
4: Yeah, it was. I mean, there was clearly too many openings and p- people not moving properly, and just they just had so much space. I think one thing they honed in on correctly was obviously the Paqueta goal was a feast for the eyes but if you just look at it from a defensive perspective and just how much space and they just kind of leave him alone completely there's no no suggestion that anyone felt this this om- ominous run from midfield is something that should be tracked perhaps uh the you know you can look at it like that and that that's i understand if you're an analyst on the tv it's your job to pick stuff apart i just tend to think if you've had 45 minutes of brazil going full nike advert in a world cup game i just kind of (laughs) want to i kind of want to sit back and enjoy that because if you can't enjoy that then what is really the point of watching a world cup
2: well speaking of enjoying it obviously the brazilians did they had lots of dances for every goal i thought five minutes in i thought well that's Bold to be doing that after five minutes. Harry says, what is the acceptable amount of samba? Roy Keane <laughs> suggesting one jig per goal is the limit. Really? I, I, thought, I thought Roy Keane was suggesting the fir- after the first goal it's okay, yeah, but not after the fourth. Was Mark silly. says, am I the only crusty curmudgeon hoping somebody gives these fancy boys a right good tonking? Steve says, who's like me and can't wait to see Brazil get hammered with their silly little dances grow up? What is, Jordan, the acceptable amount of samba? Listen, I'm, I remember the discussion around Richarlison doing what he was doing for
3: Spurs in the of Forest game and the, the, the bit of showboating there. Listen, I'm all for showboating, I'm all for dancing, but I'm also for if the opposite player wants to kick you into the stands, you've got to hold that as well. So it's all about do what you want. But you've got to be accountable for the, for the consequences. Listen, I'm from South London, where the, the whole cage culture with football, we did that. When you nutmeg someone and put it in the top bins, you'd have a, you had a little dance, you had a little thing in the corner. And one of the tragedies for me of modern-day football, tragedies. We could talk about VAR. We could talk about was this a handball, that a handball, technology. For me, the missing of the prepared goal celebration for me, just going out the window for me, is an absolute disgrace. So for them to have a celebration planned for their goals, I say more play to them, more dancing, bring it on! I'm totally for it. No issue with it at all.
2: You could just imagine how much they would have danced if that Danny Alves volley had gone oh, in. It would no. have been it. <laughs> I
5: was
4: dancing.
2: <laughs> it would Still be going with the opening of a Broadway musical, wouldn't it? Um, Barry, how do you how do you feel about it? Um, uh, much the same as Jordan. I I love the showboating. I love the dancing. But if
5: I was on that South Korea team, I would have kicked the fucker. <laughs> some of them in the second half, and I would, I will very much like to see how they get on if they try that against Croatia.
4: <laughs> oh, that be, oh, that'd be great if the Croatians lose their rags, kick them, and get sent off. Then it'll be fantastic. I mean, that that'd be really good for them.
2: Yeah, but no, but but don't you agree? I mean, I I I take your point, Lars, but. Uh, Dejan Lovren and if they get you know will not enjoy that and if they get past them and it's Argentina Christian Romero will not like that either and uh, you know I I want to say I love the dancing but I'm with you Barry. and I know Sunday League is not the World Cup knockouts
4: are you sure you know that Max because sometimes (laughs) I'm,
2: I'm pretty sure but like if I was playing and a team started dancing after five minutes I would be so angry inside obviously I wouldn't kick them because you know I wouldn't do. That. I just wouldn't do that. I'd just write a stern letter to you know to the Times a few weeks later, saying I'm very upset about this. Or indeed the Guardian, of course, excellent newspaper. <laughs> but um, but I think it was quite interesting. I was just fun last to watch Roy Keane shaking his head. I know he's a proper football man, and I know like. I know, I know he's sort of doing it tongue-in-cheek. I was entertained by Roy Keane just going, what's happening here? <laughs> yeah. laugh.
4: This might just be too massive. But when I saw that, my first instinct was that Twitter account that does little Roy Keane clips has got some great materials out of this <laughs> time. <sometime. laughs> and there's some good memes to be had. Listen, I, I don't know. I, I think people uh, expressing joy should maybe be allowed... Uh, if yeah, they, if the opponent feels this is too disrespectful. I think oh, the list of things certain footballers find to be disrespectful is enormously long. And at some point, you just need yeah. to not... Like putting on the, the goalkeeper so that he got some World Cup minutes. I saw this suggested that that was very disrespectful. Uh, scoring more goals, as Jordan suggested, would have been disrespectful. But then maybe <laughs> not scoring more goals. Was that also <laughs> slightly disrespectful? Uh, Neymar's hair, disrespectful? I mean, there is something about the laws of the game where you can book someone for sure disrespect for the sport it just says it doesn't no explanation as to what that means some of the hairstyles i see just immediate booking see you're, you're
5: saying as soon as weverton ran on to take his place, he should have got a yellow <laughs> <Yes>. card.
4: <laughs> yes you're showing disrespect for the game by bringing out this fella
2: james does say you know given that brazil decided to give weverton his first minutes at the world cup is it unfair that fourth choice keeper yfc bournemouth didn't get the same opportunity yes yeah, so, you know obviously Every single part of me wants him to sign for Everton. And I did tweet every human wants him to sign for Everton, apart from, of course, Weverton probably doesn't want to sign for Everton, does he? I mean, it would be great if he signed for Liverpool. <laughs> anyway, Croatia-Brazil on Friday. I mean, we'll talk about Croatia's win over Japan in just a second. but They've got can... be tired, haven't they, man <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, they've got to be tired, but... I don't know. I, 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 you. After watching those two games, you cannot imagine anything but Brazil hammering Croatia about eight 0 Jordan. But it's just football isn't like that, is it?
3: No, but I, I just think, as I, I think that we'll get to Croatia a bit later on in the pod. But I feel Croatia look like they're looking leggy and old, and I think Brazil are looking the opposite. <laughs> they're looking like they are sprightly and young, and I think that, and they're having fun, and I just don't see how and where Croatia can cause an upset here. They, they I, I like Croatia. I've always liked them. I think they're a good good football team. But I think to suggest that they're going to beat this Brazilian team, I just think Brazil have got too many weapons, too much momentum. They've been rotating their squad um, throughout this tournament so far, so their players will be a little bit fresher. I, I, I just don't see where Croatia get anything out of this, and unless they can try and drag it out to a shootout and then go there again. But and again, their poor odd legs might, might not even make it that long anyway.
5: Do you think, Jordan, like Croatia, they're wily, they're gnarly, they're streetwise, they're dirty, they're experienced. That's got to count for something, hasn't it?
3: It does. It does. It does. And I think that is probably the only way um, I hadn't thought that. That's the only way I think they can get, if they can really piss off Brazil, really wind Brazil up, really make it a horrible, nasty game um, to try and throw Brazil off their off their game. That is the only way I can see them kind of getting any joy out of this because in every other department, I just think Brazil win.
4: I just think, without spoiling our Japan-Croatia chat, if you look that leggy against Bel- a dysfunctional Belgium and then that leggy against Japan and you come up against this Brazil team, I mean, you, you there's only so much dirt you can throw to, to compensate, <laughs> you know? And, and the yeah. midfield is actually like... Modric Brozovic Kovacic like there's no there's no Chopper Harris itch in there is there
2: no that is true but you know what we want is Brozovic to score early and then I want to see a proper Samba from the Croatians that would be good right up to Neymar and a massive synchronized dance and go here you go now what have you got Um, probably wouldn't be wise anyway look that'll do for part one we'll be back in just a second
1: finding your perfect home was hard
2: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Let's do Japan, Croatia, then Croatia going through on penalties. And uh, we can introduce Ben Mabley, the Japanese Gary Lineker slash Des Lynam, uh, presenter, commentator, friend of the pod. Hey, Ben. Hello, Max. How are you doing? I'm very good. And thank you for... It's three in the morning over there. So, like, thank you. And hopefully this will be a cathartic experience for you. Um, Um, I have to say, Max, we have already had this discussion off here, but I would argue that Gary Lineker is... (laughs) Japanese Gary Lineker. <laughs> well, that's a good point. But it like it establishes Ben. You Ben you you host the Premier League, right, for Japanese television. This is correct.
0: I th- I do, and I feel like Linica himself is starting to steal my gig because he's speaking more and more Japanese on TV, and that's the only thing that I have over him.
2: But if he can do that too, then you know, there's no point in me existing. Well, uh, as long as you continue to exist for the next 20 minutes or so, what happens after that? We're not really that fast. So uh, at, at time in this game, uh, Neil said they're finally looking tired, Max. Jack said are Croatia finally tired. Callum, are Croatia actually tired now? Matt says the Croatians are tired. This is not a drill. But... You just can't write them off. And and Guy Mowbray, I think it was on comms on the BBC, said, look, penalty shootouts never fail to deliver top quality drama. But I actually thought, Barry, this was quite an undramatic penalty shootout, wasn't it?
5: Mm. It was, yeah. Um, the the three Japanese misses were dreadful, like really, really bad penalties. And it, it looked like, I don't know, did they bottle it? Well, put your laces through the ball like I know it's it's I sound like a, a proper football man, but just pick a spot and bury it and if the goalkeeper happens to save it, okay, fair enough, but I mean the Croatian goalkeeper is the hero of that game, and I just think he, he didn't have to do much they were there were quite savable penalties.
2: I actually said, Baz. I I think you might have been able to save those penalties, and I don't think you've ever been able to score or save any of the goals or chances that we've discussed on this pod over however many years. Um, before the shootout, Ben, did you think, okay, we're this is we're in it's fifty fifty, or did you have that the fear that what ha- happened might happen?
0: Well, I spent 40% of my life, I suppose, now in Japan, but I am English, so I naturally fear penalty shootouts (laughs) in any circumstances (laughs) and in any situation. I thought it felt a little bit of a waste in that Japan had been probably most in control by their standards uh, in the first half of this game than they had of any uh, game for that kind of period so far this World Cup. They played most like it wasn't their normal shape they usually play with the back four it's only been this world cup really where he's been experimenting so much with different systems and playing three at the back but um i felt they were controlled in possession they looked solid in in defense they were vertical with their passing and their transitions and their pressing was very very good so the first half you're looking at that and thinking a little bit like watching england yesterday should it be this going this well going this according to plan and of course it was the first time this World Cup Japan had actually led a game, and whereas in the past they'd been better at going behind and then changing things, they weren't really able to change things in the second half when when Croatia started to get back on top. And then there wasn't any real, real long, long sustained periods of momentum where Japan looked like they might get back in front again. So it was drifting particularly through extra time towards penalties, and then then you just have to wait and see. I was a bit surprised to see. Minami will take the first kick because he was a regular for Japan for most of Moriasa's reign so far. He's, he's lost his place in the side. He's lost the confidence, perhaps, of the, of the manager. He, he didn't take that penalty with a great deal of confidence and immediately Japan were on the back foot, weren't they?
2: Yeah. O'Mani um, says, can we declare Croatia a World Cup villain yet? They're like World Cup cops in that their job is to bounce out the teams having too much fun. I, I, I felt, Lars, this was a bit like... England semi-final, where Croatia weren't good and then they just scored, like, out of nothing. And then I couldn't really work out if the game had any sort of shape or not, but I just felt like Croatia would just eventually get through.
4: Yeah, I, I, I rarely watch 120 minutes of football and come out of it with this few talking points really it was just a little bit of a head scratcher in terms of what happened in the game i feel and 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 ben i'd like to hear your take on this but i feel like the game in normal time was an opportunity missed for japan because croatia just looked really leggy and like they didn't have a lot in the second half they just kind of resorted to putting quite a few crosses in towards Perisic and budimir thinking we're not playing well, so we're going to try to beat them in the air. In the area, that tends to work against the Japanese. So, I mean, it, it seemed to be that sort of thing that was going on. And I just thought, you guys just, I say you guys, Japan looked like they had more gas in the tank. It looked like there was more energy. And it, I just kind of was hoping you'd go for it somehow and just try to try to exploit Croatia's weaknesses a little bit more. But it just didn't happen for you guys.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, one of the things that's characterized Japan throughout this World Cup has been the substitutions. And that again, that's been something that's taken most of us by surprise. It Moriyasu, I th- I think he's quite similar to Southgate in that in Japan he gets a lot of unfair criticism where actually he doesn't use the same team all the time and actually it's been slowly evolved and actually uh, he's a more better manager than people give him credit for, but he had never been this type before to to suddenly change system mid-game and and suddenly um really changed the momentum of the game like he did against Germany and against spain and he was he did a press huddle the other day a, a friend of mine was was part of that and and he said he'd been really thinking hard and sort of researching how best to use the five substitutions because its seemed to be sort of common uh common logic that five substitutions should change in half your team, it might disbalance your team. But actually, if you think about it another way, it gives you two chances to change, to make a big change to your team. You can go from like it was against Germany and Spain, you can go from it, you're okay, you're losing, but you're still in the game and you suddenly go more attacking and that succeeds and then you have enough substitutions left to go defensive again. And that worked in the group stages. But like I said before, this is the first time in, in this World Cup and indeed the first time since the second round against Belgium last World Cup that they've been ahead and what is he going to do then? What, what choice do you make when you go in 1-0 in front? Do you go more attacking to go for a second goal? Because that's usually been the, the default substitution. Bring on Mitoma. In, in the past, when, it, when it's been 4-2-2-2, two, two, two play on the left-hand hand side in, in this World Cup, when it's been a back three, plays left wing back. But he's the kind of the, the scary superstar sub who gives you that extra attacking threat. But when they're leading, does he have the boldness to do that? Or is there an alternative option to make things sure at the back? Well, he's already using all of his centre-backs that were available today. So there wasn't a change until they were then levelling the game. And, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing there having succeeded so much with the the changes throughout the the group stage, particularly in in the two games that they won anyway. But he wasn't able to find something to, to hit Croatia when, as you say, yeah, I, I agree. I thought the 90 minutes was was the real opportunity for Japan.
2: But isn't that the thing, Jordan, with Croatia? They always seem there for the taking. You know, if there's one panellist that's going to respect this kind of wily, dogged, just getting it done somehow, I feel it's you.
3: It definitely is me, Max. Um, Croatia were my my outside tip to go quite deep in this competition for for one thing, and it's the only thing I think will stop England from winning the whole competition they're very good at controlling games because they're midfield and midfielders. I I know they're getting on a bit now, but Croatia's ability to be able to control a game, I really respect and rate, and I think it's needed in this this sort of level. Ironically enough, they didn't do that today. They didn't control the game. (laughs) Um, And I think that it's been been flagged a few times that they are looking a a little bit leggy. And I fear that the next round, whoever they play, they may well struggle because there's only so many, you know, churns of the of the lemon if you like you can you can do it before the juice actually has run out so i i the dogginess the kind of getting it done i do like um but all the reasons why i actually like croatia and tip them to go quite deep in this they didn't actually do that in in, in this in this game here and i thought they were quite 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 fortunate to 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 get the win
5: sorry can i ask who, who's churning lemons
2: you squeeze <laughs> lemons churn milk that's a very sorry
5: sorry sorry
4: yeah
2: sorry sorry. (laughs) barry's right barry's right
4: sorry i think on the subject of lemons um if there is such a thing as like a human manifestation of what a squeezed lemon looks like think Luka modric when he was subbed up it's got to be pretty close i mean that was that was the human equivalent of a squeezed lemon god bless him how he's still performing with the energy levels that he is most of the time at his age with this uh, program of games. is It is remarkable, but he was well and, well and truly spent uh, when, when he had to go off. Croatia did. I think in the second half, they had a little bit more possession than in the first, and they managed to drag the tempo down a little bit. But yeah, it was frustrating, man. I could, they were so there for the taking, and I really wanted Japan to just do them, and it created not that much.
2: Mm. And That's true, Ben, isn't it? They had the you know yeah. you felt they had the momentum but actually in terms of clear cut chances there weren't really there weren't really many either uh, for either side actually
0: no i mean they they gone to this uh 3-4-3 shape which the manager had never really used he'd never used from the from the beginning of a match as japan manager until the the spain game he but he used it in his club many many years back but it it, it seemed to work against spain He's, he kept with it for this game and i was a little bit worried at first because with only one striker up front and only three men in in the press they were they were getting pretty high, but they didn't have they didn't have their usual numbers in the press. So they were getting long balls played over the top quite easily. They seemed to adjust to deal with that, and then when they got Doan and Kamada playing more centrally, they were able to get a lot of numbers in the in the centre of the park, stretch the pitch with the, with the two wing backs up. Endo joined the attack. I thought he was excellent, particularly in the first half. He played a lot more riskier passes, more, more vertical passes through the lines to get Kamada and um, Doan linking nicely with with Maeda and. It, and it worked, and they had a really good spell. I thought for the last ten minutes or so of the first half, they got the goal. Then, maybe getting the goal so so soon within that good spell, and then having half time, it it may it gave them time to then lose that momentum, lose that feeling. I don't, I don't know, but um, they weren't able to get it back in in the second half, and that and that was a shame. You know, because the con- the country was was not optimistic going into this World Cup, and it's been a fantastic story ever since. So it's just a shame that it kind of petered out this way.
4: Yeah, can I ask, Ben, how the feeling is regarding that? You already mentioned that the coach is a little bit of a south gate and that he gets more stick than maybe he deserves. And it's also like the fourth time you've reached a round of 16, but not gone fired. Keep saying you, you're not Japanese. But this is the fourth time they've reached <laughs> the round of 16 without progressing. Is there some frustration that, again, they've failed to take that final step?
0: Yeah, I think the frustration will be greater this time, almost because... Everything up to this point had gone better than expected. And because for the first time, from what the players and what the manager was, were saying in the build-up to this game, they were speaking with a lot more conviction, a lot more confidence in where they are. This wasn't a new stage for them anymore. And it, this was, in fact, this is where we should be. It's the first time, I think, I mean, in the previous three, it was almost like they were the challengers. In this game, okay, it was Croatia, they were the, the finalists last time, but they didn't have anything to be afraid of. And it's the first time I've seen them approach a World Cup knockout game in that kind of mindset. So given that they were able to to do that, given they played particularly the first half rather well and seemed in control, I think the frustration is, as a result of not having won will be greater. But I think in terms of Japanese football culture and, and, and what it means to the country as a whole, this World Cup has been a great success because, to be honest, the people that I work with, the ex-pros, other commentators, other presenters, other TV people, were worried that... Football's popularity in Japan was, was dropping. The World Cup was the one opportunity to get the non hardcore fans on board. But the first game was against Germany. We were likely to lose that. It would peter out and then no one would care. And it's gone completely the other way. And what beating Germany showed was that, was not only that. The World Cup could attract interest, but that more people were actually watching them than we'd expected in the first place, and, and people—it became a topic of conversation wherever you go. In, when you go and buy a, a coffee or you buy a dinner or something like that, the the people behind the counter are, to- are talking about football. The people in cafes are talking about football, and you know this game kicked off at, at midnight. The penalties were nearly three o'clock in the morning, and there was the game was live on television and also live on a stream. The stream had over twenty million live viewers. What? Which. You know, for that's for a, anything at, at two thirty in the morning, it is quite a lot. That's so pretty crazy. It,
4: it,
0: yeah, so what it's proved to to us in in our industry is that there there is a, a bigger interest in, in football. Football has penetrated Japanese society more than even we thought, which which is great. And the the stories of this World Cup, you know, as English, we talk about our. F- Penalty shoot shootout failures ad infinite and probably boring the hell out of people like, like Barry as a result of it. But I mean this is part, it's oh, no. part of your <laughs> 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 Well Well maybe maybe the stories of failures was, was a bad example. But you know, these these past stories, these these highs that what could have been, they you know, they become part of, of your of your culture, of your heritage, I suppose. And it's and it's and it's probably a good thing going forward that that a lot of people will have experienced this because they will have realised how much they care.
5: Ben, I, I'm curious to know, Right, as the Croatian players were tired but triumphantly doing their rounds of the pitch at full time, <clears throat> Japan's players and staff had a huddle and Moriasu was really, you know, going in, giving it the, the the full gun with whatever he was saying. And as a student of the culture of the country, and I presume you know him and probably know some of the players, do you have any idea what he might have been saying to them? On well, the audio
0: that I was watching, it wasn't clear enough, but I imagine somebody will have grabbed it and it will be on the morning news, so I'll I'll check again then. But, I mean, from his brief post-match interview, which was very emotional, he spoke about, uh, you know, his, his pride of having got this far, of, of having showed the world that they compete, and that's something that means a lot to him. You know, Japanese football culture is a little bit short of narrative. I know we joke and, and self-deprecate a little bit about about the concept of narrative a little bit. But I think Japanese football culture doesn't use it enough sometimes. But the one thing that they do have and always go back to is the agony of Doha, which is when uh, the... In the 1993, qualifiers for the USA World Cup, Japan were a minute away from qualifying. The final round of Asian qualification was in uh, was in Qatar. They were playing against Iraq, and then in the 90th minute, they conceded a goal. When the ball went over, Moriasa's head and the Iraq forward got the ball and scored. And when Moriasa took over as manager, so he was the, the sort of the first ex-player from the Japanese professional football era, because Japan had only turned pro in 1993 – He was the first ex-player from the J League era to take over as Japan manager. And he put a full page advert in the newspaper, which I didn't notice at the time. And it's become kind of viral in the last few days. A letter to himself from 25 years ago and saying, you know, your dreams were absolutely shattered and crushed that day. And you can't even remember how you got home, how you got off the pitch afterwards. And you were devastated. But I'm telling you now, you are now going to make Japan stronger. You are going to show the world that Japanese football can compete. This was something he did in 2018 when he took over. And and now he's kind of bookended that back in Qatar by okay fine they didn't get to the quarterfinals which was their their goal but they I think they showed the world that they can compete better than they have in previous World Cups and so that is something that he's carried with him that's something that he's been able to convey to to his team and he spoke of his his pride in his in his players
3: I think this is something that they can they can now take forward to build the next the next step in Japanese football history. It was more just a kind of a very brief opinion on on the team and that I'm quite sad that they're out. Well, I say sad, I'll sleep tonight, fine. But it's quite unfortunate that they're out because they're the only team that I've enjoyed watching play. They're the only team that go forward and go go for it. They're not interested in building up from the back and 25 million passes in their half. They just seem to always be on forward, forward, forward. And I think they're just a victim ultimately of something that I think a lot of teams, maybe 80% are victims of as well, with just no killer up top. They're just blunt up front. They don't have that guy up top that can t- convert that energy and that team ethic into actual goals. And they've also scored the best goal of the tournament for me as well. So I'm a little bit, a little bit disappointed they're out. Especially to go out that way on penalties with three poor penalties, is a really, really poor way
2: to go out. Um, can I ask, Ben? Th- there's. After every Japan game, the main thrust that we get on social media over here is just how tidy they've left the dressing room <laughs> and how tidy their fans have left the stadium. I just wonder if in Japan people are bored of this kind of cliche, or it's it's just it's something that every that happens everywhere, and, and it's kind of, or, or they're not, or they just don't see it as remarkable.
0: I, I think it's a little bit split, um, but certainly the fact that this becomes a topic of conversation every four years then becomes a topic of conversation here. It's like, look, the BBC right. is saying this about us. Look, the Guardian is saying this about us. Look, American TV is saying this about us. So, and some people, you know, are very proud of that. And I think a lot of the supporters who actually go to the stadiums in in Qatar on this occasion, you know, they have they uh, a feeling of duty because this is how the world expects us to behave now. So, so we're going to make sure that we, we do it. But I think some other people as well say, yeah, 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 that's, that's true. But can you talk about our football? Because we're actually not that bad. And so, you know, it, it does risk become a, becoming a cultural stereotype in, in a sense. To be honest, I mean, J League Stadium is very similar. Not everybody does it, but the majority of people will take their rubbish home with them afterwards. and Or there'll be volunteers with like big rubbish bags out and you just put yours in there as, as you go. You know, you... I think most Japanese football supporters in general would would say well why wouldn't you clean up after yourself. Yeah, yeah. Not ev- <laughs> not not everyone not everyone but but on on the whole I think that's um, a fairly standard part of the culture here.
5: I would like it to be known that when football weekly do live shows I always do the washing up in the dressing room when we get a meal and I tidy up after and regularly get ridiculed for it and I would prefer to be known for that. My my tidying up afterwards, than my urbane wit and sophistication during say, then, the actual
2: shows. Than, 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 sh- than shitting on a a cheap train in Munich, but you know.
4: <laughs> I mean, I've 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 never ridiculed you for doing that, but I am going to ridicule you for mentioning it for like the fourth time on the pod.
2: i was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, look, that's all we've got time for. Part two, Ben. Thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it, especially at this hour of the morning.
0: It's my absolute pleasure. I only got up at seven in the evening, having been working uh, all through (laughs) last night and yesterday morning. So, you know, I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't know what time of day it is. It's (laughs) It's to say, you must be very confused. It's always dark. And, you know... <laughs> I've, I've realised that sunlight is actually quite important. I've done middle of the night world cups before, but they've always been in the summer. It's always been kind of light when I get up and light when I go to bed. But now this time of year, it's not. If you were living this this time of day, and it's yeah, it's
2: not good for you. It's not good. For you. Okay. Um. Well, uh, it's it's done now, pretty much, isn't it? V. So you, uh, you can you can live a, 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 in the daytime. Uh, thanks so much for your time. I'm though, I'm, I'm, I'm covering England here. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, it'll be done on Saturday. Um. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll uh, look into tomorrow's games and any other business. Uh, welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Do you like football? Do you like reading about football? Why not get the Guardian Football Daily Newsletter straight into your inbox?
5: Wow, that sounds amazing. Man.
2: I think I'm writing it tomorrow. Yeah, well, you can get detailed news updates and analysis from World Cup 2022 in your inbox every day with the Guardian Football Daily newspaper. It'll arrive every lunchtime throughout the tournament. It's written by our award-winning sports writers and Barry Glendenning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sign, sign up now at theguardian.com/slash. Football Daily and also listen to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly Podcast uh, tomorrow where Faye, Susan, and Guest will dissect a weekend of WSL and saw 22 goals in six matches. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Right then, tomorrow um, Morocco, Spain and Portugal, Switzerland. The big news, Barry, isn't it, is that um, Portugal coach Fernando Santos is unhappy with Ronaldo. Yeah, what a huge surprise. I did clock this during the South
5: Korea game that when Ronaldo was taken off he was not one bit pleased about it. We 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 know why he wants to be on the pitch. He wants to be scoring goals, but again, he's he's making everything about him. And I think it was yesterday's part. I was applauding Jude Bellingham's immense maturity as a nineteen-year-old, and Cristiano Ronaldo is what thirty-seven. Is mm-hmm. he? Yeah, should know better at this stage. It's it, these tantrums are not becoming of a man of his uh, well, his age and, and his achievements. He he knows what's going on, and it's just it's pretty pathetic at this stage. And uh, apparently, Fernando Santos has has refused to guarantee he will be captain or indeed playing in Portugal's next match. I suspect he will be both, but. I maintain I think Portugal would be far better off without him and a genuine potential winner of this World Cup without him. The fanboy, he he has an army of fanboys. I presume he is aware of how great they think he is and he clearly shares their view
4: just I'm really fascinated by the by the army of ronald bros on the internet Is that who I just well wow. they they should be <laughs> uh, just I just wonder how you decide to spend your life on that uh, and also I I do wonder if quite a few of them may not be what they you know, I I suspect there are a few bots in there max that's all possibly, I'm saying
2: possibly do you give switzerland any chance
4: absolutely absolutely they 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 kind of they're not the most exciting team in the tournament in switzerland but they are wait for it efficient they are the swiss are efficient max but also that they've been a little bit better going forward than i was expecting uh briel and has looked good uh vargas on the left flank is is not an amazing player but he's looked lively and, and we got Sheridan shakiri to look forward to and see if he plays i mean they they might they might drop him, but uh, I did enjoy how in the sort of crucial game against Serbia, we got to like an hour on the clock and Sheldon Shakiri was like, I am not running yeah. any longer. <laughs> I am done. Uh, Sheridan is out of here. But no, he still can inject a little bit of spice into the team. And, you know, I, I think they have every chance of, unse- of unsettling a Portuguese team that has better players on paper, but uh, frequently are less than the sum of their parts.
2: Uh, Morocco-Spain's the other game. And Barry, you've been quite positive about... Uh, Morocco in this is the second time these teams have met at the World Cup they met in 2018 Morocco twice took the lead uh, before Aspas got a last minute winner for for Spain but you know Morocco have shown quite a lot so far in this tournament
5: uh, I'm going to make one of those predictions which may come back to bite me uh, Benteke golden boot style I think Morocco will beat Spain mm,
4: I like it and All three.
5: everyone's nodding I-
2: so it never happened
5: I would argue they're the best team I've seen in this competition so far, with the possible exception of France.
3: Wow. Jordan? I, I agree with Barry. I, I think this is going to be the shock of the round. I think Morocco win this game. I've liked the look of them. I think they've got some really good players. Bain, Spain look good. I've looked good generally, but I still can't get over the fact that Morata is their biggest goal threat, and I just don't trust him um, when it really matters. Uh, maybe I'm being a bit harsh again on him. But I just think Morocco will be at it. I think they've got momentum that's been building and I, I think it's going to be a shock here. So, no, but, but Barry's got a, another person here agreeing with him on that one.
5: And they, they don't concede goals. I mean, uh, the goal they conceded in their last game, which was an own goal and a bit of a fluke, was the first one they conceded, I think, in seven. And before that, they, they'd they almost gone eight without conceding. I think the score conceded in the seventh or eighth minutes of their previous game. But they, they're... Bloody good,
2: Morocco. An email from Patrick on the football on England uh, about Bukayo Saka saying, let me qualify this first by saying your podcast is the top football podcast around, in my opinion. That's not why I'm reading out the uh, email. But am I missing something? There seems to be a general trend by all pundits everywhere of just ignoring Bukayo Saka. You guys fell headlong into it when reviewing England's Senegal. It's, It's usually Jude Bellingham, Harry Kane, Harry Kane, Jude Bellingham, Phil Foden, Jude Bellingham, all important players, of course. One mention of Saka was that he didn't go for the Kane cross. It was totally admitting that he scored a delightful soft dink of a goal. He may have a point. I, I
5: think that he's actually yeah. right, I think. Yeah. Now, I will argue in my defence that I had a power cut and missed his goal. So I might <laughs> it if I'd seen it. But, yeah, I, just as you read that, I went, yeah, he's dead right. And yeah. I have no idea why. Um, no, he's, he's a yeah, wonderful interesting, player. Interesting email, and I don't know why we do ignore him because he is very good. I think
3: the, the tweeter is, is correct in the sense that Phil Foden is the latest shiny boy that the nation, you know, is demanding plays in goal, up front, left wing, central midfield, defensive midfielder, plays everywhere. And this idea that Phil Foden, and this is just an opinion, is significantly better player than Bakaya Saka. I don't buy that. I, I don't. I don't. I don't buy that at all. Saka's only a few months away from being a few months ago, where he was voted England's best player for the last 12 months. He has carried, maybe a bit of a stretch, but he has been Arsenal's best player for two or three years at a very young age. His performances in the last game prior to Senegal, it wasn't amazing. He wasn't great, granted. But this idea that he shouldn't be around and Rashford's the new guy because he scored two goals in the game before that, I just thought was a bit weird. Saka's been very consistent generally. So, yeah, I think the the, the person that sent that in has a point in that we maybe don't value Saka as we should, um, in the way that we seem to be obsessed right now with Phil Foden, who's a brilliant player, but Saka is too.
2: Uh, Jim says, what 90s pop idol do the panel feel is long overdue getting dolls on Twitter by a respected member of the panel? This is referring to Barney Ronay going in two-footed on Chesney Hawks. Now, after yesterday's pod, Barney tweeted, uh, did you not leave in the bit where I told you that Wojciech Chesney had named his son after Chesney Hawks, thereby creating Chesney Chesney? And you believed me and talked about it for a bit. This did happen. And I'd like to say for the record, I didn't afterwards tell producer Joel to get it cut I was quite happy for it to stay in in fact I suggested it stayed in and was put as like a bonus bit at the end because after we stopped recording um, Barney told me it was a joke and I felt like a massive twat but anyway it was edited out Uh, yes Barry I would like to say that you did the the interview with Barney solo, yeah,
5: and you specifically told us we didn't need to to hang around for the interview, with Barney. I'd have been quite happy to hang around, with, yeah, hang around for it. So I'm slightly skeptical. Where are the receipts? Where are the receipts, Of Max? your insistence <laughs> that you didn't tell producer Joel to take it out. Now, producer Joel's job already hanging by a thread because he only won bronze in some producer awards thing recently mm-hmm. um is now that thread is now sort of there's a candle underneath it the, the, the thread is gradually getting thinner and thinner. but i i think you're hanging producer joe you're throwing them under the bus here max aren't you
2: i said to him on the zoom it's not in the whatsapp that i think we should put it in Also, Uh,
5: it's not on the WhatsApp, and none of us were here to see it.
2: I just said- How
5: convenient,
2: man. I said at 10 past 10 last night- How convenient. I just said at 10 past 10 last night, I listened to my side. He said, annoyingly, I didn't get Barney's Chesney joke confession. I might have to cut that bit. And I said, a huge blow. Joel said, sackable. Uh, Then we had a chat about something else. Then I said, I've just listened to my side of it. It might still work without Barney. Um, I don't mind, I said. He said, I and then I woke up to, I just cut the whole joke. We didn't get Barney saying it's a joke. It doesn't really make sense. It helps for time as we had Barney on for quite a while. You've also got to remember, this is the first thing that listeners heard yesterday after England 3, Senegal nil. <laughs> and so the first thing was basically Barney telling me that Wojciech Chesney's son was called Chesney. Anyway, Simon says... We all just want to hear Barney's joke about Chesney Hawks. Brad said, outrageous cover-up. Christian said, release the tapes. I need to hear this. Andy's <laughs> says, Max's man of the people mask slips further every pod. <laughs> Liam Thorpe, the political editor of the Liverpool Echo, says this has all the makings of a classic cover-up. We need answers. Michael says, what are we paying the producer for if he's leaving out these gold nuggets? So here is is part one of the Barney tapes. Just interesting.
3: Did you know that... Um He's really popular in in Poland. I didn't know this. Um, Sometimes these things happen. And and actually, Poland's Goldberg actually named his son after him. He's called Czesny (laughs) Czesny.
2: Stop it. No one's called Czesny Czesny. No, it's true. Is that true? Yeah. Didn't you know that? Which is Czesny's son? I'm surprised you didn't know that. I I just think if your surname is Czesny... It's like the only Christian name you'd have to avoid, isn't it? (laughs) No, he he
3: just—he couldn't help it. He's—he's a a massive man. He didn't
2: really have any choice in the matter. Wow, that is—that is extraordinary. I thought everyone. Chesney Hawks is—he's the—he's to Poland what normal Wisdom is to Albania. Clearly, anyway. um, We only have my audio of the moment that Barney told me it wasn't true. Or he tells me it's a joke, and then I (laughs) give my explanation, and here is my live explanation.
3: Right, Max. There's
2: no Ch- Chesney. Chesney was a child. <laughs> How can I have? Listen, To be fair, right? It is quite late. My my child isn't sleeping. This is about my fifty seventh podcast in a row, and I did the radio in the morning. But the fact that I believed you that he was called Chesney Chesney, it rem- it it reminded me. I, I I think I was doing the uh <laughs> I was doing the Horn section podcast, and Alex Horn told me that. Because he didn't want to wee in the night, he didn't drink water after like eleven a.m. And for some reason, I believe that as well. So you know, there is a there is a there is a gullibility that runs through me. So there we are. It is out there. I have. I don't mind it being out there. I didn't ask it to be cut. I don't mind being a gullible twat. That is, you know, but I honestly. I really believed it. I just went along with it. It was late. Anyway, I don't need to explain myself again. Philippe also pointed out that he also did a Chesney-Chesney joke, nowhere near as good as a lab, and elaborate as Barney's, but still, which went completely unnoticed and finished on producer Joel's cutting room floor. So really, it is producer Joel who has something against Chesney-Chesney uh, jokes, to which I can't remember. There was another tweet saying, no one talks about Peter Schmeichel's other son, Michael. And then, and then someone else replied... <laughs> He was good friends with Gary Pallister's son, Alistair. So you know,
4: <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. what are you going to do? So there we are. I am innocent, uh, and you know me, Barry. I wouldn't mind. I'm not that kind of. I'm not that kind of person.
1: Look not at that your kind face.
2: Look at that. Mm. Look at your face. Absolute disgrace. That's an outrage from you to make that accusation. Anyway, look. That'll do for today's podcast. Uh, thank you, Jordan. Excuse me. Thank you, Lars. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Barry. You're welcome. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> uh...
4: Release the tape! Release the tapes, Mike. Back into the side. <laughs>
5: You're so (laughs) gullible.
0: This is The Guardian.